Welcome to the Faith Renewed Podcast. I'm Pastor Terry Rogers, and I want to thank you for listening to this message. If you want to learn more about Faith Renewed, check us out online at faithrenewed.org. know that? My name is Lamont Freeman, and it's good to be here with you today. It is good to be with a family of God who is not afraid to come and worship barefooted. My wife loves that. You know, it's just one of the things, I think that's what drew her to this place. You know, when COVID hit and they closed all the kind of churches and she came and she uh, came to worship service, and all of a sudden she looked down and she saw people that looked just like her, barefoot and in the altar. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Pastor Terry asked me to speak, and I am the least among brethren, and I feel very honored in him allowing me to speak this morning. And then he gave me an assignment. He said, why Christmas? And I looked at him and I said, just because. And he said, no, I want you to preach on why Christmas. And I said, I'd be glad to. You know, Christmas has changed a great deal over my time of life. And I've been preaching for about 45 years now. And so I started fairly young in preaching. But uh, in that time, Christmas has changed you know, I can remember Christmas in Greenville when I was just a little boy. I remember going from uh, Belks to J.C. Penney to Ivy's to Myers Arnold, and I saw Santa at every one of those places. And I remembered at five years old, I looked up at my mother and I said, Mama, how is it that Santa beats us from one place to the other? And she looked at my daddy and she says, This one's yours. And I also noticed that when I was a child, uh, Santa loved Oreo cookies and milk. Well, the funny thing is, I knew that my dad loved Oreo cookies and milk too. But it has all changed. The world is changing. In fact, if you listen very carefully to J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, prelogue, as the movie begins, you hear the voice of the elven queen saying, the world is changing. And over these years, I have noticed that the world is changing, and Christmas is changing. I was listening to music this week, and I got depressed, and it's Christmas music, <laughs> because I heard Elvis singing, it's going to be a blue, blue Christmas without you. And then a few minutes later, my, my uh, emotions changed altogether, and I got jingle bells, jingle bells. And then it went over to, it'll be a white Christmas. Have you heard that song? How many white Christmases have you seen here in Greenville, South Carolina? One, maybe two. It's not a white Christmas. 
You see, in this world in which we live, Christmas is not what Christmas used to be. Sociologists and anthropologists tell us that it's become a cultural icon. It is a time of family and, f and food and fury over football games that have already gone past. Psychologists, from their viewpoint, tells us that it's a time of joy and a time of, of a positive uptick of positive mental feelings. But you know what they don't tell us about is that Christmas, 45 days after Christmas, there is the highest moment of suicides in our nation. You know, we love the lights. I, I went to Belks the other day, and I was walking through Belks, and they had all this stuff everywhere. Everything was red and green and gold and beautiful trees and all this stuff everywhere. Just gorgeous. And lights. You know, in the morning, if you get up and you turn a bright light on, you'll wake up quicker. And if you turn a brighter lights on in your house, you feel kind of more positive. And that's the way Christmas is. It's a season of lights. How many of you went to the uh, Greenville Christmas Parade this couple of weeks ago? Anybody? Nobody. One back there in the back. I did. I sat on the curb like I did when I was a five-year-old boy with my little granddaughter and my wife and my daughter. And we sat there and we watched the floats go by. I think they had the same floats that they did back then. <laughs> Not much has changed. As far as the marketing world is concerned, this cultural event is the biggest sales season of the year. Did you notice in the marketing world it began in the middle of October. Some places even earlier than that. But in that time period, we, we see all of these sales going on and you're bombarded with all kind of advertisements. It is because of this cultural Christmas of today and the embellishment of the myths of Christmas and slick marketing schemes that retailers' pocket, uh, pockets are lined with your money to the tune of $859 billion this year. C.S. Lewis said that the Christmas of today is a myth based upon fantasy. But the biblical Christmas is a mythos, a story based in reality. As far as the religious world is concerned, and, and I have to keep on these notes here or I, I will just continue on for hours preaching. But as far as the religious world is concerned, it is the season in which we see people come to church one of two times a year. We call them CNEs, Christmas and Easter Christians. Amazing. 
I see them. When I was pastoring, I would look for them. And here they would come, the entire family. Oh, pastor, you're the greatest person since cotton candy. Man, we just love you and just enjoy you so much. I said, well, why aren't you here next week? I'm one of those pastors, or I was one of those pastors that just didn't care. I told my people in my congregation one time, I said, look, if you're looking for another church, call me. I'll help you find it. I can't help it. It's just who I am. And I'm the good one. They would come to our church and say, can I see Pastor Freeman? I need counseling. And they would say, well, Pastor Nora is ready. Right now she's here. You can talk to her. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to talk to her. We want to talk to Pastor Lamont. You know why? She's the prophetic one. And she gets in their mess and they don't like it. <laughs> they just wanted somebody to kind of pet them a little bit. And I don't do that very well either. But Christmas is not about a little fat man with eight reindeers. Oh, nine reindeers if you count Rudolph. Now, Rudolph didn't show up until the early 50s with his bright red nose. That was all about a song that a man named Gene Autry, do y'all know him? Probably most of you don't know him. But he began to sing, sing it. He was a cowboy, and he began to sing this song. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shy. See, some of you started tapping your feet. But it's about a moment in time. That's what, that's what Christmas is really all about. It's about this moment in time. It's about a Kairos moment when God broke into the history of man. It is about a Kairos moment when God came to change the destiny of mankind. It's a Kairos moment in which God would provide a man to redeem his creation. It all began with a question. Did you know that, that Christmas began with a question? How many of you have your Bibles with you this morning? If you do, I don't care if it's digital, I don't care, whatever. I have to use one of these. You know why? I can't write on the other ones. It's just something about all those uh, notes that I take and I write on the front of my, uh, my phone or my other things. Just don't stay there. But I write in my Bible. In Psalms 24 and in Psalms, I mean in Luke chapter 2, tells us the story of this Kairos moment that came about. This is the true Christmas, the Christmas that is celebrated not, on, not only on earth but in heaven also. It is the Christmas celebration of a victorious Christ and the, of his completion of a redemption work for all mankind. And it begins like this. And I want to read a little more than I have on the screen. Psalms 24 says, The earth is the Lord and all of its fullness, and the world and those who dwell therein. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. It begins with the Creator. And then the question 
that brings Christmas to us. Who may ascend unto the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place. He who has clean hearts, clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity and has not sworn deceitfully, that's who can. Oh, how many times I have heard that preach that that's you and I. It's not. It has nothing to do with you and I. It is the prophetic voice that is heard by the King David and he writes it down as he listens to the Trinity talking. You know, that's what we need to learn how to do is to listen to the Trinity as they're talking. It changes our destiny. It changes who we are when we begin to listen to them and their speech. It's just like Pastor Louie here. He doesn't have a ministry. Never did but he was invited by the Trinity to come and be a part of their work in this world. And we have that stewardship. So David was listening. He was in the fields and he was listening to them. And as they spoke, he heard the Trinity say these and he wrote them down. This was the beginning moment of Christmas. And we see it carried on. In the book of Luke, the second chapter, we know the story about how there were angels in the field and they were watching their sheep by night. And as they watched, the angel of the Lord came unto them. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 2. And the angel said unto them, Do not fear. For behold, I give you good tidings of great joy. Y'all don't seem too joyous this morning. Some of you, to be honest, look like you've been sucking green persimmons. Whew. I love persimmons, but I don't like them green. I like them when they're really nice and orange, you know, and they have just that little quality that turns your mouth just a little bit, but they're really sweet. But some people in their life know no joy. Listen, of all people, Christians should be people of joy. Amen. The Bible says, joy unspeakable, then full of his glory. Amen. But we go around going, I got to go to church this morning. No, you don't. Well, I got to listen to that preacher preach this morning. No, you don't. You can get up and leave right now. I don't care. I've preached to one person before. I traveled 18 miles in Korea up and around one of the tallest mountains in all of Asia to get to one young man to preach. So if you don't want to be here, get up and go home. Good grief. Watch old episodes of Deep Space Nine. But if you've come to share joy, come here, come here, This, listen, this is Christmas in heaven. 
He's one of the redeemed, aren't you? Amen. Okay, I just had to make sure. <laughs> and while he's in heaven, the Father dances around him and over him with great joy. And the Son joins in and the Spirit joins in. And they grab him by the hand in heaven and they dance in heaven. Da 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 da. Woo! Great joy they bring to us at this time of year. Not a bag of toys, but great joy, which shall be to take your finger, point it in the air, now curve it down to all people. Look at somebody and say, that means me. And then smile. For unto you is born today in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is a sign that will be unto you. You will find the babe wrapped, King James says, in swaddling clothes. I always look for those swaddling clothes. You go to Belts, they're not at Belts. They're not at Dillard's. They're not at... Macy's. You can't find swaddling clothes. You know why? Because it's strips of cloth. And they would wrap their children in it to make them feel comfortable right after they were born. And he'll be lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill. Toward men. Peace and goodwill. Isaiah, I think, heard a little bit of this. You see, Isaiah is called the gospel of the Old Testament. And Isaiah said this. He would be called the wonderful counselor. Take that comma out of there. It's not meant to be there. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, and the prince of peace. Here we hear the angel saying, the prince of peace has come to bring goodwill toward men. And it's not just any kind of peace, but it's God's kind of peace. So here in the field where Boaz fell in love with Ruth, here in the same field that David sang and heard the voice of God, here in this very field, shepherds that night, who were watching over the flocks of the temple, sheep that would be sacrificed at the temple for the sins of men, the angel came to bring a message of joy. And what is that joy? Shalom. The prince of shalom. The prince of peace. Now, I know in the, in, in the Greek, it's a rene. I know that. I've I, I studied that word out many times in my time of, uh, of studying the Greek language. I took six years of Greek. And your mind begins to explode. But this is a Hebraic term. I like what Derek Prince said. He says the Hebrew word shalom means much more than the word peace means in the English. 
not just an absence of war or an absence of conflict or an absence of strife. It means completeness. It means fulfillment. It means perfection. Oh, I want to get out there and preach among you, but they won't let me. Adam, you're perfect. Why did you giggle? In him, in Christ, he is perfection. You just hadn't seen it yet. You still work on it. You keep working on it. He's got to go through the experience to get there. So you keep working on it. The Holy Spirit gave you to him to help him become perfect in some ways. Nora's been working on me for 42 years. <laughs> but this word shalom, it means much more than what a rene means. In fact, it means, the root thought of it means to be complete. I am not complete without him. It also means to make perfect. And I am perfect in him. It means to make full. Whew. I am full of his joy and I am full of his peace and I am complete in him and I need nothing because he is my all in all. It is not just an inward thing either. It is total wholeness. Mind, body, and spirit. You see, when God gives presence, he doesn't just give you part of a present. He gives you the whole present. It was a message from God marking his goodwill toward men. And when angels, when the angels left, the shepherds went immediately to Bethlehem, the city of David, and found the babe, not in a kingly residence. Most people do not know that one of Herod's palaces was on the hill directly above Bethlehem, and it shined with a thousand lights every night. It was a beauty to behold as far as the architecture of that day was concerned. And I, I kind of get it in my head, my heart sometimes, that, that as Mary and Joseph came into the city, she says, this is the king of glory. Why can't we go up there? For him to be born. And he wasn't born in an inn. It's called a con. And the only con in that area we know was the ancient home of David that had been turned into an inn. And even the family residence had no place for the king of glory. The only place that was open was a manger, a, a grotto, a cave. 
Now, I know today we have these nice little buildings, you know, they have straw around them and all that sort of stuff. Actually, those things come from the idea of tabernacles. Jesus wasn't born in one of those. He was born in a cave. And in that cave, they said there was a manger. Most of those mangers were made with a, uh, um, an, a manger that was made out of limestone, and they chiseled it out so that they could put the, the feed for the sheep in there. It probably had been cleaned out, new hay put in there. The sheep were in the field. You see, this manger where they laid Jesus when he was born is the identical place where the lambs that were born to go to slaughter in the temple were born. And the neat thing is, is archaeologists found that place. It was a big article. National Geographic about six years ago now. And it had the star of David on it. That star was not there when Jesus was born in that area. That came through Solomon. But here the king of glory came. Here the king was born. One who would ascend the holy mountain of Jehovah, who would stand in the holy place of God, who is the Lamb of God, which would sacrifice his own life to take away the sins of the world. I spend about 10 hours of lecture in my classes just talking about the nativity and the prophetic voice that is spoken in. All the way from, we, we hear uh, the angel speaking to Zechariah, and then Zechariah, his mouth is shut until God gives him a word worth speaking. And we see Elizabeth as the babe that she has within her leaps for joy because his Messiah is in Mary how that prophetic spirit comes upon her and she begins to speak and then Mary turns around it's a Pentecostal meeting and she begins to prophesy you see we are meant to be a prophetic people when that praise team gets up here to sing it shouldn't just sing should be prophesying unto the Lord, speaking his words back to him, worshiping God in the praise of heaven as it touches earth. Mm, I want to preach and I can't. He is the one who offers mankind the gift of shalom. Let me, let me just share a couple of things in that gift of shalom that, that he gives us. Christ gives us the gift of peace that comes with a clean heart according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, cleanses us from our sins. Do you know Jesus? If you do, he doesn't know your sins. 
past, present, or future. He takes care of all of them. Louie, you're here so I can use you and abuse you. Hallelujah. All the sins of the little pastor boy. <laughs> and I had two sons. I have two sons. I know what pastor sons do. Just to prove that they can be as bad as the deacon's kids. And I was a deacon's kid, hallelujah. There's always hope. Let me tell you something. The worse the kid is, the more likely he's become or she's to become a preacher. And boy, I was in it. You ask the next time that Pastor Terry's mama comes in here, you ask her, what about that Lamont Freeman kid? And she'll just shake her head. He cleans all of our sins. Isn't that a good thing to know? <laughs> I ain't going to ask you your sins. This is a rhetorical statement. That means you don't answer, okay? That, that way you don't have to plead the first and the fifth on this. Have you ever committed a sin? If you are in Christ, it's gone. You see, he brings us that kind of peace that we know our sins are forgiven us. And mine are many. B-N and A-N. That means before Nora and after Nora. <laughs> the Bible says Christ gives us the gift of peace that comes out of a right relationship with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jehovah himself has made peace with himself concerning you. He's not mad at you. Now you might have to you might have to deal with your own garden that you planted a whole lot of bad seed in one time, but God's not mad at you. How many times in counseling sessions have I had to deal with people that said, "Oh, man, all my sins are coming back on me. God's mad at me. No, he's not. God loves you. The Bible says uh, Christ gave us the peace of a spirit-controlled life. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, I say then walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit-filled life is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, Faith, meekness, self-control against such things, there is no law. If you live in the Spirit, therefore walk in the Spirit. Let it control your life. When he's done something wrong, ladies, walk in the Spirit concerning him. Let Papa get a hold of him. Papa can do more with him than you'll ever be able to do with him. Just turn him over to Jesus. Just, just shake your head and say, he's yours. And men do the same thing with your wives. 
don't do quite like Adam did, but similar said, Lord, this woman you've given me. Don't blame her for all the sins of your life. Take your own responsibility for those things. But he gave us peace. Christ gives us the peace of a right relationship with our fellow man. He says in John chapter 13, I give a new commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you agape them. You know, there's all kind of words in the Greek for love. Greeks didn't know how to uh, contain it just to one word like we do. So they had the word eros, which is passionate love. We get our word erotic from that. There's the word stoke, where it means family love. We understand that for the most part. Some families are broken, and they don't show that kind of love too well. And then there's phileos love, the, the love of, of a good friend. But you know, every one of those kinds of love wants something out of you. But the agape love that he's talking about wants nothing In fact, it does what you don't want to do. It wants to serve others. That's the outflow of the agape love. And he says it's by that we, that the world will know that we are his. Christ gives us a piece of a worthy purpose of living. I've got five or six books at the house written by great men of this world dealing with a search for purpose, a search for meaning, a search for significance. And if I would mention those men, you would probably know them. But my friend, let me tell you something. When you come to walk with Christ, you learn your purpose. Louis, what time do I have? Ten after? Nine after. So I got five, six minutes to finish five pages. I'll just tell you one story. There's a young man, 21 years old, going to Clemson University. Was fighting with God. This time of year had a Kairos moment with God. And he got perfect clarity of what God wanted him to do. Immediately he did what every good Christian young man will do. He became a Jonah and ran as far as he could away from that calling. But then there was a moment of submission to that Kairos moment. And in that moment, he returned home, begged his forgiveness of family and of God, and followed that calling took him around the world several times and brought him to live in four other continents. Took him to places he never heard of. You see, that's what this Kairos moment in a person's life will give you is purpose and meaning in life. And that young man was me. Lastly, Christ gives us the peace of adequate reserves for all situations. Paul said it this way, 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But how does this deal with Christmas? I haven't finished the story yet. Let's go back to the Psalms where we hear what is spoken. It is said between, uh, this is a metaphor that we're given in the last part of that Psalm. It says this, but lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, O everlasting doors. The King of glory shall come in. This is Jesus' entourage. This is the king of glory as he's coming back into the celestial city after his work on earth. They're crying out, open the gates of the city for the king of glory would come in. And the return reply from those on the wall was this. Who is this king of glory? You see, he had left as the divine Logos, but he was coming back as the God-man, the Savior, the Redeemer. And so there's this back and forth moment between these two as they're speaking. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O everlasting doors, for the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Jehovah! Strong and mighty, Jehovah, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, O ye everlasting doors. For the king of glory shall come in. Some of you think because you're reading the book of the Revelation that that's going to happen in the future. No, that happened way back. After 40 days of him being upon the earth, he ascended unto his father. And as he ascended with all the angels of glory, they came in. This is what took place. Who is this king of glory? Jehovah of hosts. He is the king of glory. And then there's a final little word, Selah. Think about this. But this is not where it ends. You see, there was two questions who shall ascend into the mountain of God and who shall live in his holy place? Revelations tells us that. It's been fulfilled already. It's not a prophetic thing to happen in the future. It's the thing that's happening now. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw the books on the right of him sitting on the throne, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, this is not prophetic. Remember that. It's already taken place. John is seeing the vision of this taking place. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy, wow, to open the book and to loosen its seals. You see, in the annals of time, who is worthy? And I wept very much, said John, because no one was found worthy to open and to read the book nor to look at it. And one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals of it. And I looked, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures amidst the the four living creatures and the elders bowed down and the lamb stood as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God that go forth into this world. And he came 
and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. He took the title deed. He took the book of the redemption of all creation. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each having harps and gold, uh, gold vials full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take up the book, to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us by your blood out of every kindred, out of every tongue, out of every people, out of every nation. You see, he is the one who is worthy. He is the answer to the questions of Psalm 24. He is the one who is worthy to step up and to take the book of our redemption. He is also our priest king. And I turned to see a voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden candles. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with garments down to his feet and tied around his breast was a golden band. His hair was like white wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like brandished brass having been fired in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And he had seven stars in his right hand, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like that of the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell dead at his feet. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not fear. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the living one. I became dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. This is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. Christmas, my friend, is an everyday event in heaven my God no wonder in this time of year we sing oh come let us adore him no wonder we sing at this time of year joy to the world the Lord is come no wonder we sing let us go tell the story on the mountain Jesus Christ has come would you bow your heads with Father, as I step away from this pulpit, I thank you for the message of Christmas, which is not a message of a little fat elf with a bunch of reindeers, but it is a message of the eternal King of glory who broke into my time 
into a world of death to offer me shalom, fullness, completeness, perfection, so that I may rise and walk with him in glory. Lord, let me be one of those that stands around your great throne singing praises to the King of glory who has redeemed me of all of my sins. Father, if there is one here this morning that does not know that peace, this morning I pray as they sing, let them have a Kairos moment. Break into their life, Lord. And show them with absolute clarity that there is only one who gives life. And that's Jesus Christ the Lord. And only he gives us peace. For he is the Prince of Peace. Thank you again for listening to this message. We hope it's been a source of encouragement for you today. If you need prayer or a lot to support this ministry through giving, stop by faithrenewed.org.